Morning. All right, you guys ready? I'm ready. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Um, we are in week 4 of our We Are the Church series. And I guess, I, I hope you're ready for today because um, today we start dipping our toe into the deep end. We've been talking about how we were going to for quite a while now in this series. Today is the day we're going to do that. So if you haven't been with us, right, if you haven't been with us in, throughout this series so far, let me just give you a brief overview. I wanted to give you a very long overview, but we just don't have time today. So a brief overview of the things that we've looked at is, one, why, why do we need to be at church? Like, why is it so valuable to gather as the body, to hear teaching, to, to, to be together, to gather together? So we looked at that at week one and how valuable and how important that is scripturally. And then week two, we looked at what it means to be the church. God, God lays out all through his scriptures what Christians should look like, what his church should look like. And I think a lot of us were kind of overwhelmed by the amount of times God tells us, tells us to love each other and to be kind and humble and gentle and, and bring harmony and lift each other up and honor everyone. And like, it was just overwhelming how many times in scripture God is like calling us for for the sake of our joy and for the sake of his glory to reflect who he is to the world. That's what it means to be the church. And so then last week, we really, we really dove into what does it look like to see everything in this world, everything in your life through a biblical, or another way to say that is a Christian worldview, right? Not to see the things the way the, the world is telling us to see them, a the way the world sees them, but, but see them as Christ might see them. Another, another way we said that is to not see the things like, like the world sees them, but see things through the lens of holiness, like what is holy, what is good, not just trying to avoid sin, but trying to pursue the good and right things that God has, has for us through pursuing holiness. And so here's the thing. If you missed the, the first three sermons in this series, can I just strongly encourage you to go back and listen to them? I don't do that very often, like, hey, you have to go listen to one of my past sermons. But honestly, as we start to dive into the deep end, as we start to talk about these more difficult things today, if you don't have the foundation of the last three weeks, then all of this, just, all of this ends up sounding like, hey, just be a better person, which is not at all what we're saying. We're saying that Jesus is the better person. He is the one. He, he has given us his holiness. He makes us capable of all of these things and to do all of these things. And so I'm going to refer back to the other sermons a lot in this sermon and a lot in the sermons to come. And so if you missed any of those first three sermons, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to them so you have the foundation built for what we're going to do the rest of this series. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to kind of somewhat continue what we started last week. And so last week, we really talked about transforming our minds. If you were here, do you remember that? Like the, the importance of having our minds transformed. The greatest commandment. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your what? Mind. Right? Romans 12, 2 says that the way that we avoid being conformed to the world is having our what transformed? Mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. I think a lot of in Christian circles, we talk a lot about our hearts, and we, we should talk about our hearts, like what God's doing in our heart and our soul. But Scripture over and over talks about the importance of having our minds transformed, our minds transformed in Christ. And so our minds play this vital role for the sake of living in and for God's glory, living in holiness. And so here's what we're going to do this week. This week, we're just going to take a really honest look at what we are consistently putting into our minds and how that might potentially affect every aspect of our lives, every aspect of the way we live and the way we think, and the way that it ultimately ends up affecting how we view the, our hope and our joy and our peace and our trust in the Lord. Does that make sense? We're just taking an honest look at what we're putting into our minds and how that might affect us. All right, so here, before I jump into anything else, 
I just want to read the passage. I want to let the Lord speak to us through the Holy Spirit, through his word, let him speak to us, like soak it in, and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll start really diving into what we're going to talk about today. So if you've got your Bibles, haven't opened them yet, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 4. Philippians 4, 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication means crying out to God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your what? Minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So I hope you saw in the passage, this whole thing is about us having peace in the Lord, confidence and peace. What, what it's really about is contentment. And so verse, verses five and six in this passage talk a lot about anxiousness. And what, when, it, when it says that, it really it essentially just says, do not let fear rule over your life, right? Anxiousness comes is, is built out of fear. Don't let that rule over your life. But through prayer and continually giving thanks to God, like being thankful to God for who he is and what he's done and who you are in him, like remembering those things daily. And again, through supplication, which just means constantly crying out to God, that the peace of God, listen, not fear, but the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? God wants to guard you from these things. He wants to protect you in these things. He wants to carry these things for you so that you might have peace, so that you might have contentment. Now, there's a whole lot. We could spend a whole lot of time on that. But honestly, I don't know if you remember, if you were here, about six, seven months ago, we did the Gospel Reset series, and I spent a whole week on chapter four, and we spent a, a long time on verses five and six. Verses five and six are two of the most important verses in the Bible to me, to, for my daily walk, because it's not making a good recommendation not to be anxious. It's saying this is a promise from the Lord. If you trust in the Lord, if you give these things to him, he will carry that anxiousness for you. He'll carry that fear for, for you. And through supernatural means, a, a, a peace that surpasses all understanding, God will guard, guard your heart and give you peace, right? So we can spend a lot of time there, but I did in the Gospel Reset series. So if you want more time with that, you can go back and listen to that. It was in week four of that series. But today, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm just going to say this. If I were to ask you, what do you, what do you think is the presiding emotion, the presiding feeling ruling over our culture right now? You don't need to shout it out, but if I said that, what would you say? The presiding feeling, the presiding emotion ruling over our culture right now. This is one of the few times today that I'm going to share just an outright opinion. You ready for it? I said in the series, I'm going to share as little opinions as I can, but this is an opinion. I think it's fear. I think fear is ruling over right now. I think this fear, this anxiousness is ruling over us. The fear of the virus or fear of what our future is going to look like or fear that's inlaid in all of this controversy and conspiracy. It's fear of losing control, fear of government control, fear of persecution, fear of being lied to, fear. Fear in our culture is now wielded like a weapon. And I tell you what, honestly, it's effective, isn't it? It's an effective tool. But here's the thing, because of who God is, because of what he has already done for us in Jesus Christ, fulfilling all of those promises, what, because of what he is promising to do, because of what 
who, because of who we are in him. Listen, because of all the things we've been talking about the last three weeks, God is telling us, hey, listen, do not be anxious. Do not live in fear. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Jesus says this in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. Right? Not fear, but peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In other places, Jesus says, hey, listen, don't be overcome by the world because I have overcome the world for you. God wants us to, he, to know he's overcome all this for us. We don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to walk in angels. He wants us to have peace. So I think out of that fear, out of that lack of control and anxiousness, out of that comes so much of the anger and the hate and the division and the resentment and the tribalism, right? All these different teams, all of these different camps, all of that is bred out of fear in our country. So, and, and what's sad about this is we're even seeing this in our churches among Christians constantly, aren't we? I, I wish the church was the exception to all of this division and hate and anger and bitterness and resentment, but it's, it, to me, it doesn't seem like it is. And so here, maybe it's not that for you. Maybe fear is not the presiding emotion over everything for you. But I think maybe if you step back, you can at least see how it's playing out in our culture right now. I think you can see how it's playing out in our churches. I think it's, a, an emo, it's a, just a major factor of where we find ourselves in our culture. Now, here's the question. As Christians, what is our answer to that? What is this passage telling us? Not only do we seek the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving, right, constantly trusting him and living in his peace that, listen, surpasses all understanding. I want to say that again and again so you don't just think it's like this general peace. This is like all life peace, this overwhelming peace that comes from the Lord, whether things are going awesome or whether things are going terrible. God wants you to, to give you peace that you can hold on to, this contentment, this shalom in him. So yes, it's that. But it's also by having our minds transformed. This is not just a heart issue. This is a mind issue. It's very much a mind issue. God is telling us by dwelling and thinking and focusing on the right things, on different things than the world focuses on, that we might have hope. We might be able to move forward. And so what does Philippians 4 say we should be thinking about? Did you see it? The things that we should be dwelling on daily? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise. Those are what our minds and our hearts, but our minds, this is talking about your mind more than anything else, should be focused on every day. Now, we're going to talk more about each of those words here in a second. We're going to get to that. But let me ask you, on a daily basis, how much of your mind do you, do you think you give thinking about these things? Can we just, like, can we not, can you guys just not sit there and, th- and just, like, listen to me for a second, but actually think, how much of my mind do I actually give to the things that Philippians 4 is talking about on a daily basis? Intentionally, specifically. Versus how much of my mind do I give to things that are worldly, that are unhelpful, or things that just induce fear and anger and bitterness and resentment and disunity and apathy. I'm not even necessarily talking about things that are sinful, but things that produce that in us. 
Because dwelling on the right things seems to be an enormous thing in Scripture. And, I, and right now, like, I, I know this is a bold thing to say, I don't know that it's ever been more important than after the, last, the year we just had. Why? So, I'm going to quote some stuff. This is as, as, as of the end of 2019 into the beginning of 2020. All the statistics and stuff haven't really come out for this year yet, right? Because we're just now into 2020. But you know, the, the average person as of the end of 2019 into 2020 spends two hours a day on social media. That's the average. For millennials, it's about twice as that. It's, it's almost twice that. Now, considering the last year that we've had, do you think that number's gone up or gone down? Yeah, immediately. It was like, oh yeah, it's gone up. Yeah, immediately, gone up. I don't know that for sure. The stats haven't come out yet, right? I don't want to, as much as I can, I don't want to share opinions, but man, it's got, people are just like addicted to their phones now. Like, who, I was talking to Jack the other day. He, he works over with Matt at Melancholy, and there was, wasn't there a kid in there looking, looking at his, his cell phone? It was like the middle of the day, and he'd been on it seven hours. And he's like, well, that's not that bad. One of my friends has been on his phone like 12 hours. Like, that, that's not even that uncommon anymore, right? That's crazy, isn't it? But it's not even that uncommon. Look at your screen time and see where you actually end up at the end of the days, right? So social media is now two hours a day. You know, the average person at the, towards the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020 listened read, or read the news 70 minutes a day. Now, let's be honest. Do we think that number's gone up or down? I mean, I, I can't imagine how much that's gone up. And by the way, that 70 minutes a day doesn't count what, what news you get on social media. And for millennials, over 50% of millennials primarily get their news from social media. They may go to other sources, but they primarily get their news. So that's not even counted into the 70, the 70 minutes a day. And who knows how that's gone up with this insane year that we have. This is pre-COVID, pre-election, pre-all these cultural upheavals, pre-all this insane year. And that doesn't even take into account that the average person now watches TV four hours a day. Four hours a day. And hear me, this is one that blew my, blew my mind. The average person now, this is just average, is now connected to media, whether you're listening to music or a podcast or TV or news or whatever else, is now connected to media 12 hours a day. Half of our lives we're now connected, and that doesn't even account for sleep. So if you do account for sleep, it's Two-thirds, three-fourths of our lives, we're now connected to some sort of media. And I, I'm not saying that that's evil or wrong necessarily, right? That's not my point. These are just facts. This is just true. Now, I, I don't have time to address every single way we take in information and how it affects us, right? We'd be here all day. So today, I'm going to primarily focus on two. But as I focus on these two, if these two aren't, for, aren't the ones that, that typically get a lot of your mind during the day that you, you end up scrolling or looking at or doing things with, then just whatever it is for you, I want you to think about that thing. Does that make sense? Because I can't focus on everything. I'm going to focus on two. I'm going to focus on social media and the news. You remember how Philippians 4 gave us eight words as examples of things that we're supposed to focus on? Just one word answers. We're going to talk about them more, but one, one word answers. In the same way, this week I reached out to a wide variety of people. Right, I reached out, and when I say wide variety, variety, some were older, some were younger, right? Some were really spiritual, spiritually mature, some were not. Some were church people, some weren't church people at all. Some were way, way right leaning, and some were way left, left leaning. I very, very intentionally went to a very wide and diverse group of people, and I asked them a question. Describe social media to me in one word. No context, no me leading them. This is over text, so they couldn't see my face. Right, that's what I asked. Do me a favor, I'm doing a sermon. Describe social media in one word. 
This is what I got. Powerful, and it is. Oversaturated, unfortunate, culpability, meaning to take blame or responsibility. Detrimental, chaotic, burdensome, disaster, fake, inciting, cesspool, consuming, addicting, influential, divisive, and superficial. There were more. These are the ones I picked to put down. Now, listen, of that wide and diverse group of people, not one person gave me a positive response. Not one person even gave me a remotely positive response. You could say that influential, right, might be positive, but then later in the week, I saw that person, and they told me what they meant by influential, and it was not positive at all, right? It was not positive at all. Now, hear me before we move on. I'm not up here saying that everything about social media is bad. Are there good things about social media? I think some of you are questioning it now, right? But yeah, I think there's some good things about social media, right? I'm not up here saying that social media is some, uh, some, some, somehow evil. That's not my point at all. I'm, I'm just stating what, what we think about social media, facts about social media and what we think, what people think. Hear me. It's not my point to just condemn social media at all. It's, I'm, I'm here to ask I, I came and asked the first thing that came to people's minds about social media, how they felt about it, how they viewed it, and this is what I got. This is how almost every person feels about this thing. So if this is true, if this is how almost all of us, like I got, like my, my in for, for my study wasn't quite big enough, my number, but for, I'd say for about 50 people that I asked, this is what I got. That's a pretty good clinical trial, Right? For the 50 people asked, this is what we got. And so if this is the reality for most of us, if most of us use social media this way, then what the heck are we putting into our minds and our hearts? Something that we know is this way. Yes, there are good aspects of social media. I'm not condemning it as a whole, but can we stop back and just think about what what are we doing? What are we spending our time with? What are we putting into our minds? How do you think this might be conforming you and transforming you versus what God's calling you to be conformed to and transformed to? Is that fair? Is it fair for us to just stand back and take a really honest look? Like, I'm not sharing opinions right now. I'm just stating. I tried to do the exact same thing that Scripture did. Here's some one-word things that you should be focused on. Let me give you some one-word things. Do you see that? I was trying to be as faithful to the word as I could be. What are we doing? What, what, What are we putting into our minds? How do you think that might be transforming us? This one might step on even more toes. I did the same thing with the news. I asked the same question. Same diverse group of people. It was actually different people, but I tried to be just as diverse. And again, no leading questions. In our culture right now, give me one word to describe the news. That's what I asked. When, they, when people would text me back, well, what do you mean by that? I'm like, I don't mean anything. Just give me, just give me a one-word answer to what you think of the news currently right now. This is what I got back. Deceptive, divisive, lies, baloney. That one made me laugh. Hypocritical, biased, harmful, propaganda, factuous, which means creating factions, cynical, inflammatory, hysterical, sensationalized, polarizing, and divided. I did not get one positive response. I think this one even sounded worse than social media, which was surprising to me, honestly. Hear me. Please hear me. I'm attacking things that a lot of us give a lot of our life to. And so I think there's going to be some of us that automatically walls are starting to get built up and, and trying to imply that I'm saying things that I'm not saying. Hey, that's what's happening in our culture right now. I'm not, I'm not implying anything other than this is what I got back. I'm, I'm not saying that all the news is bad. Here, listen, I am in no way saying do not be informed. We need to be informed as Christians. We got to know what's going on in our culture. Yes, 
We, get, we need to know, right? I'm not saying put your head in the sand. And I know some of you probably even immediately thought, well, well you're just telling me to put my head in the sand when it comes to the news. I'm not saying that. With all the baggage that comes with the news now, I beg you not to assume things, but just look at what the reality of the situation. That's all I'm asking. I, I simply wanted to show you what virtually all people now feel about these things. That's, that's it. Because on average, this is what we're filling our minds with three to four hours a day, on average. Do you know that's 1,300 hours a year? Do you know what that comes out to? Now, wrap your mind around this for a second. That's 53 days a year that we spend reading social media or the news. 53 days. Do you think that might be conforming and transforming your mind to be more like the world when this is how we view it? And you may even say like, well, my website or my app doesn't, I don't feel that way about that one. But listen, this is overall, this is how we feel about these things. You know, typically after spending a lot of time reading and dwelling on the endless news cycle, because it is just endless now, can I, I want you, just another thing, I want you to be honest with yourself. What does it produce in you? Does it, after spending a lot of time reading the news, I'm just gonna pick on the news for a second, reading the news, does it produce the fruit of the Spirit? After reading the news for a long time, you're like, man, I just wanna go reach my brothers and sisters in Christ and share Jesus with the world and just, like, just create this kindness and this gentleness and this peace and this love for fellow man. The kingdom of God. That, get, like, that almost sounds like a sarcastic response, doesn't it? That's exactly what God's calling us to, to fill our minds with things that draw us to act and feel like Christ does for the world. That's how we're supposed to respond. That's what God wants for us. And not just because he's trying to tell us what to do. God wants you to have joy and peace and being like Christ is your hope, is your joy, is your peace. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can go out in the world and do his work. Does this at all happen when you spend a bunch of time with the news? Or does it produce anger and frustration and division the things that the world is so caught up in right now, like the world, our, our country, our culture. This is so important. I, I think church, this is, I said this is gonna get a difficult sermon series, right? I wanna make, I'm, I'm, I feel like God is telling us we all need to face some things because here's also the reality of church going people. This is not average, this is not Christians. This is people who say, I go to church regularly. You ready for this? 19% of those people say they're in the word of God close to once daily, 19%. How many of those people do you think are on social media and the news every single day? At the same time, almost the same percentage, 18% say that they are rarely or never in the Word of God, other than when the pastor tells them to open to a passage on Sunday mornings, and I think even that's happening less than it used to. Over the last few months, I've had to just be really, really very, very honest with myself about how these things affect me. I think that's one of the reasons I didn't want to preach this series, because I have to face it too. And I'm just asking you to do the same thing today. Now, we're going to talk about that more in a second, but I want to go back to the actual passage and what God is trying to teach us about our minds, trying to teach us about how that affects our heart, how that affects our lives. So let's go back to the passage. What's the first thing that Philippians 4.4 said that we're supposed to, we're supposed to do? I heard it. I heard somebody whisper it. I always love that as a pastor. Rejoice. Yeah, rejoice. Not a trick question. The first thing says rejoice in the Lord. How often? 
Always, like rejoice in the Lord always. Listen, as I go through these things today, I'm not saying that every day, all day, you have to just be thinking about Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus is this, and Jesus is, like, you've got to live your life. Like, we've got to do the things that we've got to do. This is not about, it's like constantly making sure that your mind is thinking holy thoughts all of the time, right? But this is saying rejoice in the Lord always, right? Rejoice, have joy, have hope, have fulfillment, have peace in the Lord. This means thinking about the good things of the Lord every day. It's like last week when I told you, hey, every day when you start your day in prayer or in the word, don't start with you, start with God. You mess things up. You don't always get it right. You, you struggle with shame or guilt or what you're thinking about or how you're feeling, but God is always faithful. You aren't. He always is. So start with him. Even start with what he says about you, that you are holy and blameless in his sight so you can confess your sins and move forward and not be weighed down by condemnation. We got to start with God. This is rejoicing in who God is and what he's done for us. Every day, that's how we start. That's who we are. This is always at the top of our mind. The rest of this passage is really about, is really God all saying all these things so you can rejoice in him every day. Rejoice in the Lord. What's the second thing it says that we need to do? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You know, in the original language, this was written in Greek, and the Greek word for this means to be fair, to be sensible. This word is literally also used to, to say to be gentle. It can be used interchangeable between reasonable and gentle. What this is saying, like, be, let your reasonableness be known. It's saying that let everyone you encounter know that you are reasonable, that you are fair. This means that you're a person that is not quick to spout out your opinions or beat people down with them or let your anger get the best of you, but a person that seeks to understand other people, a person that seeks to find common ground. Being reasonable in this way, the, the way it's saying to be fair, to be reasonably gentle, um, it, it means that we are to listen before we speak. Because we can't understand people and where they're coming from and that they're actual people, that they aren't the they out there that the news and social media is always talking about, right? The they out there. No, God's calling you right here to be, to be reasonable with people in front of you, people you encounter, people in your world. As James says, quick to listen slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, this is important for some of us that are fighters. I'm a fighter, right? God's had to teach me not to be a fighter. This, is in, this in no way is implying that we ever have to compromise on truth. We never compromise on truth. It is in no way implying that we have to agree with people when they're believing or walking in lies. And believe me, it is in no way saying that we have to love in this watered day, watered down, weak way that our culture says we are to love now. This, this, this love of tolerance where we just have to accept everybody exactly how they are. That is so anti-biblical and anti-love. If we see somebody walking down the path of destruction and we don't intercede for them because we love them, we must hate them, right? Is that not a form of hate or just dislike or just not caring and apathy? Of course, that's, that's weak. weak love says you just accept everybody exactly how they are. That is not the kind of love that Scripture is talking about. The kind of love that Scripture is talking about is we engage no matter what in the joy and in the difficulty we engage for the sake of Christ. That's love. But it's always done reasonably kind and gentle, seeking to understand first before we seek to tell someone how wrong they are. That we should always, always be seen as reasonable, as fair, as gentle. Now, when it comes to our culture, when it comes to social media, 
when it comes to the news cycle, does reasonableness seem to be something that is pervading? Does reasonableness in any way seem to represent those two things? Does reasonableness seem in any way to represent Christians on those two things? I'm not condemning all Christians in all churches. And hear me, I'm not condemning all use of social media and the news. I just want us to face a little reality of what Scripture says and how we're supposed to walk and, 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 and force us to put those two things against each other and view our own lives. Because we can be lights in the world, but not this way. Not this way. Again, 50 things on both of these, and not one person gave a positive response. No, not one person said anything anywhere remote to reasonable. So the first thing to have our minds right and to reflect God's glory to the world is that we need to rejoice in the Lord and we need to, be, we need to make our reasonableness known to everyone. And then we have verses six and seven. Like I said, we already kind of addressed those. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with those today. So I'm just going to get right into the words that that the Lord is is saying for us to focus on because they're not not just words. Those words carry a lot of weight to them, right? There's a lot behind those words that he told us to focus on. So let's just walk, walk through them really quickly because they're the things we're supposed to have our minds and our hearts focused on, right? So it says, whatever is true. That's the first one. Whatever is true. This is the things we need to be thinking about. When it says whatever is true, what do you think it's, it's talking about? Take a guess. I'm asking, when it says whatever is true, what do you think it might potentially be talking about? I'm going to stand here until somebody says it. The word of God, thank you, thank you. The word of God, I want you to process this, right? I don't want you to hear me preaching. I want you, I want you to process this. The word of God, what, what God says is true. This is the thing that we have to anchor in. This is why we spent so much time building the foundation of the series before we ever talked about anything that we need to change or do so that we could be rooted in the right things. So I'm not going to push on you again about how absolutely vital it is that you be in the word. Man, listen, every single day, and this is not a thing like condemnation, like I'm a terrible Christian, I'm not in the word every day. You need to have it so you know how to breathe in this world, so you know how to think in this world, so you have a hope, you have a prayer. That's why the spiritual disciplines class this week is so important. We want to equip you in every way possible for this just to be a daily thing, to know how to do it, to know how to pursue the Lord, to worship the Lord through his word. That's what we want. Not for you to be able to break down a passage and check the box, I'm a good Christian, I got in the Word, but for you to find God here, to worship Him here, and for this to radically change you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through His Word. So the first one starts tonight. Please, please come. Please come. The world is bombarding you with things that are simply not true. What hope do we have if we're not holding on to what is true with a death grip? All right, so the first thing we, we should be thinking about is whatever is true. What's the second thing? Whatever is honorable. This Greek word is semnos, and it means dignified. It means worthy of respect. And so reading the news, scrolling social media, or honestly, really, we could talk about a lot of other things, podcasts or shows that you watch or movies that you watch, how much of that content would you say is honorable? is worthy of respect, is dignified. It's an important word today, right? Dignified. Who, who though, is worthy of respect? 
Man, this is talking about Jesus Christ. This is why we laid our, again, why we laid a foundation for th- three weeks. Um, like, we, we need to focus on Jesus and who, who he did and that he's worthy of respect and honor. But you know what? Like, we're, we're going to talk about Jesus all day. We're going to continue to talk about Jesus. But you know what? You know what else is worthy of, of honor? There's people in this church that I bet that you look up to in their faith, right? The way they live, the way they act, the way they love. You look up to their faith, what they have with Jesus Christ, right? You, they're dignified. Man, it's healthy to look up and think about them too, Right? Paul says, follow me as I followed Christ, right? And so ultimately, we all look to Jesus Christ. Of course we do. And we don't idolize people, but we can look at people and be like, man, they love really well. Man, they have such faith in Christ. Man, they're so passionate for the Lord. I want to have some of what they have, right? And to follow that example and think about the way they live their life and how that's honorable and how it honors the Lord and think, man, there are honorable people that I can look up to and follow. Think about these things. Think about Jesus and the Lord, but also think about the dignity of other Christians that you've seen that you want to follow. And there's a couple men in my church, uh, in my life that one of them in particular, I've said, I've said to other people, whenever I'm around him, it just feels like I'm in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you know why? He's one of the most humble people I've ever met. He'd probably be horrified if you heard me say that out loud, right? I don't think he's the Holy Spirit, but man, this dude loves the Lord and he's given his life to serve the Lord. I've never seen someone with such humility and kindness and grace and mercy. And when I'm around him, I just, I just feel closer to God because God is using him in powerful ways. Because in the end, it's not about him, is it? It's about Christ in him. So we can think about things that are honorable, focus on those things. The world feels like a disaster and we focus so much on those, but there are good, honorable things around you right now. First and foremost, Jesus Christ. What's the next word? Just. You know, this Greek word appears 79 times in the New Testament. It's over, over, over and over and over again it appears in the New Testament, and it literally means justice or righteousness. Just. What is just? This is, what it actually means is to be just or to be righteous. It means to be made right, to be right, but it's more than just being It's more than just that. It's more than just justice. Jesus uses this word in Matthew 9. I'm just going to read it to you. Matthew 9, 10 through 13 says this. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Does that not just sound like social media? Somebody might even post something good and right and holy, and immediately there's five people there to be like, well, why would you say that? Why would you do that? Why would you even feel that way? That's just dumb, right? Is, is that not it? Did I not just sum up social media about 80% of the time? Not all the time, but a lot of the time. This is what they're doing to Jesus right in this moment. But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And when he says sacrifice, I don't require all your good works to try to make you to feel like a good person or all the times that you feel like you're right because you know the law better than other people. I don't desire all that first. I desire mercy above all else. And then he says, for I came not to call the righteous, the just, that's this word, but who? Sinners. So the reason we need to focus on this church is because we are unrighteous, right? We are unjust because of our sin, but Christ saw us 
And Christ came for us, and he was literally just for us. He was literally righteous for us. He executed justice on the cross because you and I are guilty. God is a good and right judge, and he looks down on evil, and he condemns evil as guilty, deserving of punishment. But Jesus went to the cross and took our guilt and took our, uh, t- took our penalty for sin. He took the wrath of God so that God, if we are in Christ, could look at us and say, just. He could look at us and say, righteous. Because Jesus took it all across. This is the beautiful thing in Romans 3 where it says Jesus was, our, was just and our justifier. He accomplished justice for us on the cross, but he was also the one that made us just because of what he did on the cross. He was our justifier. We need to be thinking about this all the time because in that word just is the power of the gospel is our hope and salvation because we had no hope to be just or righteous on our own, but Jesus Christ went to the cross so he could give us his righteousness, his holiness, his goodness. This is why I say once in a while, you need to preach the gospel to yourself, right? Over and over, we need to be reminded that we are not that person anymore if we are in Jesus Christ. We have been made new. We have been washed clean. We can move forward because we are not condemned any longer because Christ was just for us, just and justifier. We need to think about that every day. Our next word, pure, just simply means innocent. Or maybe holy, it doesn't exactly mean holy, but one of the hallmarks of being holy, what holy really means is to be set apart, but also to be perfectly pure. It's a hallmark of holiness. And here's the thing, I think we think about God is pure, so of course we need to think about God. Christ is pure, so of course we need to think about Christ and his holiness, but who else is pure? I want somebody to say it. Who else is pure? Somebody bold enough? Christ, God's pure. Christ's pure. Who else is pure? We are. You think about it that way? If you are in Christ, hey, listen, if you're not a believer here today, and we love you, I'm so glad that you're here, right? Learn about, ask whatever questions you have, see who Christ is for you. That's what we want. We want the Holy Spirit to convict you and stir in your heart, right? But, but you are, like, according to Scripture, you are not pure. You are guilty, right? You have not been washed clean, right? I'm not saying that because this is one of those things. This is, if I didn't say this, that would be weak love. If I believe, and I do, that eternity is at stake, if everything is at stake, of course I need to say this. Whether you believe it or not, I hope you can at least appreciate that this must be said. You're not pure. You're not innocent. You are guilty before a holy and righteous God, but Jesus is there. He wants to redeem you, save you, wash you clean. But listen, Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we think of God as pure. We think of Christ as pure, but we have been made pure. As I said last week, we have been made holy. Everything you need to be holy is already in you through the power of the Holy Spirit because what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross This is not you kicking yourself to be a better person. It's already a part of who you are if you're a Christian. It's just us more and more realizing who we already are in Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to work to be holy. Yes, we need to be diligent. Yes, as we saw last week, we need to be self-controlled and steadfast in these things, but not by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but by more and more realizing that God is pure, Christ is pure, and in him we have been made pure so we can move forward no matter what we've done. We can leave those things behind because we're not enslaved. So do not think like the world thinks. We need to focus on what is honorable, what is true, what is pure. The next thing we're to think about is what is lovely. I really like this word. I like this word in the Greek. It, it means deserving of love or something that is delightful and gives harmony and grace. I love that. It gives, it's, love, it's, it's so lovely, it gives harmony, it gives grace. And there's lovely things we can think about in this world, isn't it? 
This world's not all a disaster. When I think about things that are lovely, I think about my wife and my family and my kids, right? Things that are not just look beautiful, but are beautiful. Like our relationship with my wife is a beautiful thing. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. My, thing, my kids are not, they don't just, man, they're not just the best looking kids that anyone's ever seen. But inside, like my, my love for them and their love for me, that's a beautiful thing. That's lovely. Like those, there's good things in this life that, that God has given us, but are not necessarily us just seeking every little thing in God. Like those are just good and gracious gifts that God has given us. But ultimately, this loveliness is pointing to God. It's pointing to our Savior who loved us so much that he gave his only son that should, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what's lovely. That's what's beautiful. Just because of who God is, he gives, he gives us harmony, peace. He gives us grace because of who he is. And he's calling us to live and give the same things, to be lovely. And as we just said, in Christ, you have the capability of being lovely, of being beautiful inside and out because if there's a reason that God calls you his beloved. That's what this is talking about, right? His lovely, his beloved He's put all of this in you because Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And so we're to think about things that are lovely and try to strive to live in a way that displays Christ's loveliness to the world, his beauty, his beauty. So we dwell on what is lovely, next, commendable. And I I just won't spend a lot of time on this, but it it simply means anything worthy of praise. Anything worthy of praise. Rejoice in the Lord always. We start at the beginning, right? This is anything that's worthy of praise. Can you think of anything that's worthy of praise? Yeah, I'm going to kind of be repeating myself now, right? And I think this passage is repeating ourselves. Like there's so much brokenness in the world. Think of things that are holy, that are righteous, that are good, that are beautiful, that are lovely. Think on these things. Think on the things that are worthy of praise. Think on Jesus Christ. Think on your Lord who is worthy of praise. And then our next to last word, excellence. I really like this word too. Last week, we were, we were in 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, and go back and read it if you didn't read it. And now 2 Peter chapter 1 has now become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Don't give me a hard time for saying that. It's true. And in that passage, it says, the, does anybody remember what it, it said that we are to supplement our faith with what? Does anybody remember the first one? Yes. So happy. I didn't know I was, anybody was going to remember. Supplement, it listed a bunch of things we are to supplement our faith with. Faith in the foundational things. But the first thing it said is supplement our faith with virtue. Virtue meaning moral excellence, right? What we value as good or right. This is the same word, the same Greek word. Excellence, what we find virtuous or virtue is the same word. We should be thinking about these things all the time. The virtues of the Lord, the virtues of what he's called us to, but the virtues of what it means to be the church. That should be in our mind all the time. Yes, we have to start with Jesus. Yes, we have to start with what he did. But do you think if you were consistently, daily thinking on excellent things, you were thinking like, man, today, God, help me to be kind and patient and forgiving, full of grace. God, help me today to desire mercy for people above all, el- above all other things. Do you think that might change the way we interact on a daily basis if we started every day that way? instead of first thing in the morning scrolling through social media or the news to see what's going all the things that are going on if we first thing we did is thought god i want to be virtuous today i want to i want to display your excellence today and we thought of the fruit of the spirit and we thought of the things that he's calling us to and not to some check again hear me hear me not to check some christian box i had started my day in the word i'm a good person no but we started the day like that because we knew those things were better and we knew that God was worthy. And we knew that God wanted better for us. 
I mean, who in this room is going to say that being angry all day versus being patient and kind all day is a better way to live? Anger is slavery. It enslaves you to the same emotion over and over. Bitterness is like, I think... It's been credited to a lot of people. I always credit C.S. Lewis to, on this, but I don't know if this is actually accurate, okay? So, but it's bitterness. Have you ever heard somebody say this? It's like swallowing a poison pill and hoping the other person dies. Right? Is that not what hatred and bitterness and anger really are? It's just reliving the same pain again and again and again, like it's going to affect the other person, but they're probably just off living their life like just feeling great, not even aware that you're so angry and bitter at them. But what if we focused our day? What if we started our day with on what is excellent? What is virtuous? We really thought about the virtue of Christ. And and man, we just asked God, God, transform my heart and my mind. And then throughout the day, when you fail at being patient, because you will. Okay, maybe you're not like me. I'm going to fail at being patient. Maybe you won't. Maybe it's something else. But when you fail at being patient, you don't think, man, I'm a terrible person. I can't even walk in the fruit of the Spirit. No, you, you go to your Lord and you think about what's excellent. Like, Christ made me pure. He's already forgiven me. God, I wasn't patient there. Forgive me. And if you need to go apologize to someone, go apologize and then ask the Lord to help you be patient next time. That's how we move forward. Not condemnation, not shame and guilt for not being good enough, right? So what if we started every day thinking about what is excellent and how we could reflect what is excellent in Christ? That's what it means to be the church. That's what we're really talking about in week two. Having that always at the top of your mind. And then our last word, praise in the, in the end, Paul says, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. I feel like this is Paul just throwing it all in, right? He gives seven other words, and he just says, anything worthy of praise, meaning anything that is godly, anything that is good, anything that is holy, think on these things, because this is what you should be filling your mind with. This is what you should be focused on. You know, I said in men's discipleship the other day when we were, we were kind of walking through what is holiness, and I said... If you start your day scrolling through media or the news, you're immediately already 15 steps behind. I'm not saying avoid the news, but how many of us, the first thing we do in the morning is we check our phone, and for a lot of us, the first thing we do is look at social media or the news. And you're, if that's the case, you're already 15 steps behind. And by the way, I'm extremely guilty of this too. This is not like me condemning everybody in the room, right? This is just, this is the reality of it. Listen, just in the last two weeks, unsol- these were all unsolicited. I was not going out and looking for this. I have, I've had at least, I can remember five different conversations just in the cup, last couple of weeks, unsolicited, where people were admitting to, admitting to me that when they were spending significant amount of time on social media or in the news, they were far far less likely to pray, far less likely to get in God's word, or listen, here's the important part, even desire to get in God's word. They said they were far less likely to reflect the fruit of the spirit, joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? Far less likely. I was not asking these people about these things. They just told me. This is how God works, isn't it? In the last just couple weeks. Did you hear that? So I just want you to be honest. I mean, I'm saying that over and over today. Like, we're not the best at being honest with ourselves, are we? But I just want you to be honest. Do you think this might be you? That if you're consistently on social media, if you're consistently in the news, you are far more, you are far less likely to want the things of the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean, I'm not even necessarily talking about walking in sin. I'm not, I'm not even necessarily talking about you screwing everything up. I'm just talking about you reflecting all the things that God just talked about that the Lord is trying to teach us that we're, we're to walk in.
Does this have that effect on you? I know if I start my day in the things that we just talked about in Philippians 4 and what they represent, if I start my day dwelling on God's goodness, if I'm thinking about his loveliness and his excellence, if I really dwell on the fact that God loved me so much that he not only saved me, but because of his holiness, um, because of his holiness in me, he, he wants me to thrive and to grow and to know him more and to be, be the man that he's called me to be because I'm his child and he loves me and he wants that because he loves me. If I'm thinking and dwelling on all of those things, I'm telling you, my day is radically different, radically different. I think I've said to you guys from the front now, I've made a commitment before the Lord, right? Be careful making commitments for the Lord, but really it's for myself. I never get in and work on my sermons anymore until I've spent significant time with God and in his word so that I can have my mind right for it. I'm not trying to accomplish a sermon, but I'm trying to be centered, my mind and heart centered on the Lord, have my mind being transformed by him before I ever get in. And when I do that, just start my day in the word. I'm thinking on these things, my day's radically different. Do you think yours might be? This is not about, hey, church, to be a good Christian, you have your quiet time. As I said before, I hate that word. No one's still, no one's still to this day, no one's given me a better word than quiet time. This is not about you having a good quiet time. This is about having your mind and your heart dwelling on the things that are good and right and excellent so you have a hope of resisting the bombardment of this world and reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. So that you might, hear me, here's what it comes down to. So that you might have a heart that's actually capable of rejoicing. Do you realize that this is what this is about? Not you being a good person, that you be able to rejoice in the Lord and have hope and peace and joy despite the fact that 2020 was a nightmare. There's still hope. There's still joy. You can still rejoice every day because of who God is. That's what this is about. So here's the truth. Three months ago, I got off social media. I did not unfriend you. Some people thought I unfriended them. That's not what happened. All right, I just got off. And over time, I got off social media first, but then I realized I found myself going to other apps and scrolling through. I think we talked about this in Life Group, didn't we? I found myself going to other apps and starting through, scrolling through other apps that I never scroll through because it's so ingrained to me to do this. Right? And so I found myself on the YouTube app. I, I, I never get on the YouTube app. I, I forget I have a YouTube app. If I need to look up something on YouTube, I go to my Safari thing like an old man. I forgot I even had it, but I found myself opening my YouTube app in the morning and doing this. What is that for you? Like it, it might be TikTok, it might be something else. So I deleted my YouTube app. I basically deleted all my apps that I can scroll through. And I, by the way, I deleted all my news apps except for two. I want to know what's going on in the world. It's important for me to know what's going on in the world, but, but I, I left too because we need to know those things and we need to be engaged in the culture, right? And, and by the way, I'm not saying, listen, my point, I'm going to get to the point, but it's not, I'm not saying everybody needs to do this exact same thing that I did. But I am telling you what, after I did that, after about three days, I felt like this huge weight had been lifted off of me. I mean, I'm not, honestly, I wasn't even on social media that much. I didn't do that much scrolling, especially I did not get anywhere close to two hours a day. Not close. I'm just being honest. Right? But even in that, even in those, I, I probably spent 20 minutes a day on social media and 20 minutes a day on the news, maybe 30, right? And just to let some of that go, I felt like this huge weight had been lifted off my soldiers, I, soldier, shoulders. I felt free. And I have loved it. I mean, I don't miss it for a second, not for a second, not anything, right? My sister sitting in the front row. If I want to send a picture to my sister, I, I got her, to, I, I text her, right? We text each other back and forth pictures. I can still do that, right? I don't need to announce to 1,300 people 
that my kids went to the pool. I just, I don't, it, it doesn't matter to me. It might matter to you, I just don't need to. I can send it to my family and to my friends that, that would appreciate that. And listen, this is not me trying to avoid the world. That is not what I'm doing. This is not me trying to pull back from all cultural things. I, as, as Christians, we cannot pull back from all cultural things. We have to be in the fight. But this was me just trying to be more dedicated to what Scripture is calling me to do than the things that I actually kind of sometimes wanted to do to distract me. So I could keep my mind focused on what is good and godly. What's good and godly. And you know what? This is true. This is just true. Pursuing holiness for me over the last three months has been much easier. I've longed for it much more. I've longed for prayer more. I've longed to be in God's word more. And I have to be in God's word all the time, right? I have to be. But it doesn't necessarily mean my heart's always longing for it. I can be honest about that, right? Most times it does. But even pastors sometimes don't long for the word of God. But I found that much, 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 much less. Walking in holiness has been much easier. I feel like the fruit of the Spirit in my life has been much more prominent in the last three months than it was before. I know that I've been more patient and kind. And when I haven't been patient and kind, much quicker to say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. Now, when I say that, are, are you guys hearing that I'm telling you that every person in this room needs to get off social media? I mean, you don't have to yell it out loud, but I hope that's not what you're hearing. I'm just telling you what the process that I've been through, and this is what it looked like for me to be faithful. You know, one of our other pastors, Brandon, he just got off social media. Would have been about two weeks. And he told me, I don't know that I'm going to be off of it forever, but he's off of it for now. So he's off. But Denny is not off. Right? Right, Denny? And then Denny and I talked about this the other day. He, Denny uses his Facebook, his Facebook page and social media for his ministry, to be an urban missionary. It's how he keeps in contact with what's going on in the neighborhood, where the needs in the neighborhood are. And Denny has this amazing ability. To, he said, I, I believe you, Denny. I'm going to believe you in this, right? That it's, it's not an addiction for him. He doesn't have to look at it. That he doesn't even get wrapped up in reading all the comments, which is really the comments that destroy most of us, isn't it? That's where we, we, we all lose control. It's in the comments. Then he doesn't need the comments. He doesn't need to look at those things. He sees social media as a tool. And he's even got rid of certain things on social media to keep it focused on what he wants to keep it focused on. And God is doing incredible things as an urban missionary in Paula and Denny's life, right? And social media is absolutely a part of that. I'm not telling you that everyone needs to get off. Some of you need it for your business. I realize that we're in a different world now. Not everyone can do this, but also because Denny is on social media and because Larry is on social media, I don't have to be. And it's better for my heart and soul so I can just focus on these things. So here's the thing. I'm not telling you what to do today, but I'm guessing God already is. I'm guessing God, for some of you, is already convicting you about changes that you need to make. He's convicting. He's nudging. He's speaking to you about how you spend your time. And maybe it's not social media and the news. Maybe it's something like YouTube or podcasts or TikToks or TV or talk radio. I am telling you to get off talk radio. That one, I feel comfortable saying. That's an opinion. Get off talk radio. Um, but I'm guessing God's already, already speaking to you about what you should do. Everyone Everyone I have talked to about the news and about social media in the last two weeks has described it as mostly, not completely, mostly toxic. What are you afraid of losing? I'm not saying every person needs to get off, but 
Can you ask yourself, like, what are you, what are you afraid of losing? What does it produce in you? For those of you that have to stay on social media, how do you need to change the way you approach it and limit it and change it and mold it and shape it so that you can seek the things that are holy and not get hung up in the toxicity of all of those things? Like, please, be honest about how these things affect you, you, your mind and your heart. That's, that's really the ask for today. That's the ask for today. Do these things produce anger and outrage or bitterness or hatred or division or fear or anxiety or depression or obsession or addiction? Are they an idol? And I know for some of you in this room that is absolutely true. I'm not talking to anyone in particular. I just know. That's where we are in our culture. That's absolutely true. And hear me. Even after hearing today, even after having the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart, which I know some of you are feeling, you're still not going to let it go. What are you afraid of losing? Church, I think being aware of the bigger picture is a good thing. Man, we need Christian politicians. We need missionaries that go and try to change the world, right? We need leaders that go out and lead groups of people and leading from the front. Yes and amen. We need all, we need all of those things, right? We need all of those things. But listen, the overwhelming amount of Scripture, the overwhelming amount of Scripture, the vast amount of Scripture is calling you to love and serve people right where you are to be focused right where you are, to not be thinking about they all the time, but be thinking about your neighbor, thinking about the person at work, thinking about the person in your church, rejoicing and weeping and serving and loving everybody in your immediate circle. I don't even think our minds were built to, to carry the worries of the entire world, but that's where we are as a society. You have to carry the weight of the whole world, but the vast majority of scripture is, is calling you to love people right where you are, right in front of you, right now, and we have given up the weight of the world for the right here, right now. We've given up they for that person that lives across the street or that we work with or a family member or somebody in the church that needs us. What are you afraid of losing? These other things might be important, but they pale to the comparison of physically engaging the world around you for the sake of Christ. So my ask for today, and then we're done, is please, please listen to the Holy Spirit's convictions on your heart and on your mind. Make changes. Let the pursuit of holiness, of making much of Christ, of bearing the fruit of God's kingdom and the light of the gospel in a dark world that so badly needs it be more important to you than these things. Will we listen to God's word? Will we listen to the convictions that God is placing on our hearts, whatever that might be? Or will we listen and be dragged into a world that values things that don't align with scripture at all? Because that, that is exactly is what is at stake, your heart and your mind. I'll be praying for you, church. And pre, please pray for me too, because this is not easy. Let me pray for you. Oh God, how we need you. Every day, every hour, God, we need you. 
God, this is overwhelming. It's just too much. And so God, today, more than anything, I want to do exactly what your word tells us to do. God, we want to rejoice in who you are, that you are the king and that you are on your throne and that you are in control and you are sovereign. So we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be wrapped up in the things that the world says that we should be wrapped up in, but we truly can pursue you. We truly can not only walk away from sin, but, but chase and live in and become more like your son and his holiness. Oh God, I'm so thankful that you looked down on us and you desired mercy for us more than you desired punishment. God, Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on that cross so all of these things could be, could be possible, so that we could actually move forward and believe that we can. God, we're just talking about some of the most difficult things, some of the most addicting and things that pull us in more than anything else in our culture. So God, we, we just pray for help. God, you say in your word that you are our helper. So we, we pray today that you would be our helper. God, help us to listen. Help us to desire the right things. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see the reality of the world around us, but more importantly, our own hearts and our own minds. Help us to desire your word and prayer and your presence and the things that you listed in the passage today, God. Help us to actually want things that are excellent, excellent and pure and honorable and just. God, I know I can't preach well enough for people to hear this, to accept this, to walk in holiness, but, hope, but God, you are powerful and your Holy Spirit is in every one of us. So God, we pray that you do the work today and that you would create a freshwater place that just shines your glory, that is a light, that is a city on a hill, that does speak truth and shine light into the dark places. God, I thank you for this church that is so faithful to you. I pray that you continue to grow our faithfulness through these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.